Greetings and welcome to Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association. I'm your host, Brian Rudin. With me is Marianne Steiner, my co-host. Hello, Marianne. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good, good. Always good to see you during these, uh, here we are more than a year into the pandemic, and it seems like we only see each other through... Uh, Several panes of plexiglass. Exactly. We're in a parking lot, so uh, always good to see you. And uh, I'm excited about this episode. Um, we're going to dig into the topic of Catholic social teaching, which... Uh, in health progress is something that is, uh, if not every issue, uh, most issues, the topic is somehow touched on or covered upon. And so we thought it would be good for this episode really to kind of dig into that and look at that from the perspective of, particularly now that we're hopefully coming out of this pandemic and we, you know, we've been hearing for months now that the we won't get back to normal, that there's an opportunity maybe through this pandemic to do things differently. So I want to kind of talk with our two guests about for Catholic leaders, in Catholic healthcare, I should say, Catholic healthcare leaders, and even those that you know support the mission, uh, work in Catholic healthcare, how can Catholic social teaching inform the work we do, particularly you know when business decisions are made? So, I think that's really the context of what we want to get into today. Sounds good, Brian. I think that um, as you said. Catholic social teaching is a given, not always a well-articulated given, right? In the way we put health progress together and in the topics that we select. So um, I think it's I think it's really a good idea to sort of dig in for a little bit and see what we have to say about the, the principles. And we have two great guests with us who are going to help us do that. Uh, our first guest in studio here with us in Clayton Studios, right just outside of St. Louis, is Father Michael Rozier. He's a Jesuit priest and an assistant professor of health management and policy at St. Louis University College of Public Health and Social Justice. His modern-day parable for pandemic appears in the spring 2020, excuse me, 2021 issue of Health Progress. Uh, he's also written articles about the uh, social determinants of health and how those are viewed through uh, Catholic social teaching. And with us on the phone is Father Joe Driscoll. He is the Director of Ministry Formation and Organizational Spirituality at Redeemer Health in Meadowbrook, Pennsylvania. His article, Finding the Pandemic's Hidden Heroes, also appears in the spring 2021 issue of Health Progress. Father Michael and Father Joe, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Great to join you. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, I'm not sure I'm the right person to uh, to do the refresher on Catholic social teaching, but just for this conversation, let's say that the first principle of, of Catholic social teaching, teaching is the dignity of the human person. That means each person is created in the image of God and that the measure of any institution or organization or initiative is whether or not it enhances or it detracts from the dignity and the life of the human person. So all the other principles of Catholic social teaching, like the common good, participation in community, solidarity, subsidiarity, um, our prefer preferential option for the poor and for vulnerable people, respect for workers, and care for God's creation, they all follow from that. That's pretty simplistically said. So each of you who are more specialized than I, would would you kind of expand on that or correct that? Well, Marianne, I, I think you did a great job. I, I, I do think that human dignity is that kind of fundamental principle of Catholic social teaching and everything can kind of flow from there. And, and, and maybe even more kind of fundamental, why is human dignity that fundamental principle? And it's because, you know, from the very beginning, the story of creation, we understand the human person as reflecting the image and likeness of God. And so what Catholic social teaching 
is doing through dignity and these other principles is um, helping us uh, consider what uh, human flourishing and therefore glorifying God looks like in community, in the way that we live. And so it's that dignity and then the other ways it uh, manifests itself in kind of our social arrangements. Father Joe, correct me? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think both of you said that well. I often talk about the two pillars of um, Catholic social teaching being, as both of you said, human dignity as a start, and the common good. And when I was thinking about this topic today, I had a different thought than I have had before about this. Um, and again, similar to what you just said, Michael, which is human dignity is a given, right? So that's part of the creative act of God. So we don't do anything. It's, it's a given. It's there in every single person. We're created, created it in original goodness before, you know, original sin. I think our work, though, is promoting the common good. Um, I think in all the other principles in between. God gives the dignity, and if we really are co-creators in this world with God, maybe that's our work. So how do we take that dignity and ensure that people do flourish? And Michael, I love, that's one of my favorite terms, and I put that in Catholic social teaching, human flourishing. So I would summarize that by saying, for me, if the common good is realized, then I think we're, we've, got, we've got human dignity realized. God's initial work and our working to really make this a more original, more like the original goodness of God's work. And Marianne and I actually did a whole episode on the common good and really looked at that. Um, do you think that is still uh, an aspect of Catholic social teaching that maybe is misunderstood or, or needs more clarity for folks? I, I can just jump in here. I think... Yeah, I think sometimes when people hear that, the common good, they almost think of um, almost socialism. You know, it's like, let's reduce, um, you know, our society to, to, you know, everybody has the same. And that's not what it is, really. Common good, from my perspective, is real, or I think the Church's perspective is, it is human flourishing. What elements constitutive that really make every human being and all of us flourish together? Yeah, and I think we as, um, you know, um, modern Americans who are probably listening to this podcast, we overlay our own pol politics on top of everything. Like, it's impossible for us to talk about nearly anything, and the common good, unfortunately, falls victim to that as well. And so uh, the more that we can kind of uh, step aside, and uh, I, I believe a, a bishop recently said, Catholics should be politically homeless— uh, we shouldn't feel too comfortable in a, any particular party. And the common good essentially is asking us to step back from that as well and just ask the fundamental question, what, what do we need to do together that we can't do alone? How do we create kind of universal opportunity that leads, again, to this human flourishing that we could never uh, construct as individuals? Does that get to the solidarity? I know we had kind of a whole list that, that Marianne went through, but I, I do want to kind of maybe not take them one at a time, but, you know, pick out a few of them. So solidarity, what is that? So for me, solidarity is the understanding that my salvation is bound up in the salvation of other people. And so I, I can't... Uh, 
you know, move toward God's desired end for me unless other people are also moving toward their desired ends. And so part of my progress in life, part of my praising, reverencing, serving God is also helping other people do the same. Uh, And that comes in both the kind of spiritual and material dimensions of people's lives. I want to take this back to healthcare um, because this is a pretty theological discussion so far, and I love theological discussions. But um, maybe we've got a new. Maybe we could do a new podcast. Just maybe yeah. we could. But I, I want to get back to the specifics of healthcare, or not get back to, but maybe do some applications here. I think that um, the common good is is an esoteric concept, and um, and we all feel like we know it in our hearts, and it's been interesting in the last year to hear the common good mentioned more often in the public life. But, you know, we work within a ministry and we work within an industry. And you both have had lots of experience in in both sides of that. So I'm wondering how you think an understanding of the of Catholic social teaching plays into how the ministry can grow in the ways that you, Father Michael, described in community, um, but how it can also shape the way we do the very big business of healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. So our, our Catholic health ministries are some of the largest, um, most important players within our community ecosystems. And so when we look at the communities in which we serve, uh, our, our healthcare organizations um, help animate a lot well beyond uh, the healthcare delivery itself, what we are able to achieve as communities. If we think to the, to the pandemic, the, um, you know, the, the public health infrastructure that was necessary to do contact tracing, testing, uh, making sure that people could safely quarantine, um, that, that is the common good because none of us could have achieved any of that on our own. And it was actually our healthcare ministries that were an essential component to being able to achieve that. And so, you know, it, it is kind of recognizing your role and your privilege in the community and, uh, and helping uh, build up, and I say this word again, kind of the, the infrastructure that is necessary to uh, pr- provide the opportunity that's necessary for everybody else to thrive. Brian started this conversation by talking about how this is... Um that we hope that this is especially pertinent for leaders in Catholic healthcare. Um, but I have to say, when I read Father Joe's article, um, much of the leadership came from from the bottom up. You know, and you are both such good writers, uh, Father Michael. Yours, in terms of those wonderful parables you've written, which is exactly the way Jesus took things to practical explanations of how he envisioned the kingdom. And Father Joe, you you just made a poetry of taking Jesus' words and matching them to what, you know, the the maintenance person in a baby clinic, a NICU unit did. Um, So I think that there's leadership coming from all levels within Catholic health care and how we listen for the leadership um, that is all around us is really important. Could you, could you talk to that? 
I think um, I can start. I think uh, language is so important here. Um, one of the uh, traps that I find is that um, the question is constantly challenging us is how are we distinct or are we distinct in what we do? And um, so I, I, I think the core to that is ministry formation, which I have spent most of my you know, last uh, 20 years doing full-time. And um, but it's ministry formation that really has to look at how do we really integrate, not just do the language, not just do the words. Um, you know, uh, Marianne, you and I have had a conversation about this before. Let me give you a very practical example. I wonder what it would be like. Most of our meetings, significant meetings of executives, will open with a reflection. We've, we've got to that point. But it opens with a reflection, and I wonder sometimes if unconsciously we set that up with, okay, we got the ministry thing out of the way, let's now get the business done. And one of the creative ways that I've been thinking a long time about is what if the person who was assigned to be the reflector at the meeting just chooses in the hour or 90 minutes or two hours a moment to pause pause, just kind of trust the intuition. We'd take, this would take some practice to say, you know what, can we just stop now and I'd like to offer a little reflection. And it would take some courage, too. I wonder how that might shift a conversation. Um, and, and again, for me, it's, we've got to integrate the language into you know, the business practices. Father Joe, it's, it's interesting that you say that because uh, another role that I serve is on the sponsor board and board of directors of SSM Health. And just two meetings ago, we decided to do exactly that. Oh, wow. And it's we do our reflection and formation at the very beginning, but then um, the chair or somebody else can kind of midway through the meeting, and it's not a further reflection. It is literally five minutes of silence. Hmm. And so we can be in the middle of something or pivoting to something, and we can say, okay, let's let's take this moment and just kind of um, let this moment wash over us. And it is five, and it is powerful, hmm. and and it just it it changes the entire feeling of the conversation in the room. And it's very often between like consent agendas and appointments. I, I mean, it's it, it, it's amazing. Yep. Yeah. I, lo- I love, Michael, I love that I heard that. I know for a fact, I wasn't at the table, but I heard so many people. There was a, one of the health systems I work for, major decision to, um, uh, to, to let go of the ministry in the area. And they were down to two partners, a Catholic partner and a not-for-profit, but not faith-based uh, entity. And going into that meeting, the biases were all set, I mean, to go with the Catholic, and there was good reason, et cetera. They did that silence, Michael, and in, uh, and Marianne and Brian, they did that silence, and all of a sudden the conversation shifted, and they went with the other party. And the reason why was the quality of nursing was so different and, and, the, and the proof was later, as much as the people were grieving leaving their Catholic ministry, they were so glad they didn't go with the other because of the reputation of nursing for that particular system was not a good reputation. So, yeah, the power of silence. Interesting. That's great. The other uh, principle of Catholic social teaching that I want to explore a little more, and it, this gets back to uh, Marianne's question to you, Father Joe, in the article you wrote, uh, is subsidiarity. Um, I think think of that from a political sense is, 
you know, they say, well, the best decision-making in government really happens at that local level. Um, how does that work in Catholic health care? So uh, let me, let me uh, so the way I would address that is, as I did write, I, you know, for me, the eyes of Jesus, Jesus always looked in the corners and the porticos, the side of the road, in the back of the, the temple area. I mean, it was, we need to do what he did. And, and as a ministry, we've got to look. So I think we need to really go down to the levels of, and down isn't even the word I want to use, but go to the levels where people are making decisions every day in, in direct contact. So for me, a metaphor that I use uh, often in my teaching has been, and it's obviously very Eucharistic, and it's, it, it's the table. So I kind of, what I, what I often speak about is that participation is primary, right? That's, you got to have, do you even have a seat at the table? Participation, voice. If you're at the table, can you speak? Do you, are you, do you have that freedom to speak? Solidarity, as Michael uh, said so well, too, is it's who's at the table? It's all of us. We're all sisters and brothers with one destiny. And that's when then subsidiarity is, for me, the one that's closest to a situation has some decision-making authority at the table. And then I really moved to that human flourishing. When we begin to let that table be more and more participative, you know, human flourishing, the table becomes a banquet. I mean, it really, it really becomes a place where people are fed and, and human dignity is respected. And I, I, I think this um, concept, Brian, is one of the more complicated ones, given um, uh, the movements in Catholic healthcare that we've seen. I, I, I would love to hear Father Joe's thoughts on this, because I, I, I think we're getting better at subsidiarity, because I think our, we have a growing awareness of, you know, through our community health needs assessments and the more robust activities that we do in terms of helping our communities, helping us understand their needs. But I also think the growth in the in the health systems, the centralization of a lot of processes mm. makes subsidiarity far more complicated. And I, I think we have to look at it with very clear eyes around how close is the decision making uh, to the communities in which we are located. And uh, I, I think one of the risks of really large, complicated systems, and this is not just healthcare, but this is this is everywhere, uh, is that you get f- pulled further and further away from um, the people, especially within the communities outside of our organizations, who should be helping us shape uh, our decision making. And um, yeah, so I, I, I think that is a uh, a much needed conversation as we move forward. I find that to be true within organizations, but as you said, Father Michael, I think a big um, factor is the communities to which we have been privileged to serve, but maybe maybe we're making decisions now that we have to move out of those communities. So, you know, every day we all get a list of uh, what news is in Catholic health care uh, at CHA. And just last week, there were a couple of places, rural places, that were being closed. I wonder if you've got suggestions for how the people in those communities can be woven into the decisions about what's going to happen with facilities and the health care that they really need. Yeah, Marianne, that's a, that, that is a great question. And I, I, I think um, it comes down to 
making sure that we are asking the same question that those communities are asking and making sure that we're aligned from the very beginning. Because the communities, in my experience, are asking the question, how can we make sure that we have high quality healthcare that's ac accessible to our community? And as long as we are asking that same question, sometimes the answer might be us. Our ministry is the response to high quality health care in this particular community. And sometimes the answer is going to be someone else. And so if someone else is the one that is best positioned to provide that accessible, high quality health care, it, it means we've been aligned with that community from the very beginning and are uh, hopefully answering it in the same way. Now, it, it's always painful to walk away from communities with which you might have had decades or, or, or more of a relationship. Um, but f for me, the, the fundamental question isn't about the past, but it's about the future. Uh, and, and that's, I, I think, fundamentally what the communities are most interested in. Well, given what you just said, Father Michael, I'm going to ask, um, you know, I've heard both of you preach and I've read an awful lot of what you've written, whether you wrote it for Health Progress or in other places. And I think you are both men of great, great hope. Um, you keep offering solutions when some people walk away. Um, so I'd really like to hear what your hopes are for how Catholic social teaching can be more of a guiding light in the way Catholic healthcare moves forward. Um, wow, that's a big one, and um, I'll, I'll take a, a chance with that. I, um, I, I do think it goes to the core of ministry formation at every level. We, we, you know, I've noticed in the last, I mean, I've been doing full-time ministry formation for 20 years, and I would say the, you know, the last five to 10 years, I would say, before that it was leaders. Now we're really looking at everyone in the organization, but I, that's where my hope is. It's the example that, uh, Father Michael, you gave about the... Um, you know, at that board retreat, I mean, just the energy, I could feel that in the room. And it was sort of like taking what I've been working on theoretically and saying, yeah, it did work, you know. Um, those moments that really, really make us different. Let me give you a, a very practical thing that I was thinking about. So we one time in one of our most intense formation programs, senior and executive leaders, nine-month program, we had at one time, we had a panel of frontline staff talking about invisibility and visibility, that how they're really invisible as people. I mean, you talk about denigrating human dignity. And about four, and we had a robust discussion. They were pretty honest. Once they got going, it was funny, you know, uh, you know, the, the environmental service people and the maintenance people, they're not used to talking, but once one got going, they yeah, yeah, people don't, don't see us. They sometimes, you know, et cetera. About six months after that program, a vice president of operations, young guy, like late 30s, you know, really ready to blossom, called me and said, Father Joe, I need to tell you, I just saw what that invisibility, that panel was all about. And he went on to just tell a story that he was walking in the hallway, going towards the physician's lounge. One of the physicians held the door for him, said, said hello to him, talked to him, and closed the door on the woman who was, trying to, who was there ahead of them to get in. And, and, and Chuck, I'll never forget, Chuck just said, oh, my gosh, she's invisible. He didn't even see her. Wow. I think when our, our leaders when they have that kind of transformational, and I have, you know, that was 10 years ago. I, I have no idea where he is in healthcare, but I bet he's a different leader because of that. Wow. 
that's that's an amazing moment. Those kind of transformative moments that um, that we're all kind of um, looking for. So, M- Marianne, uh, first of all, I I I want to apologize for the amount of my writing that you have that you have had re- probably, oh, probably no, no, any, no. anyone other than my mom and dad you have probably read more of my stuff than, than anyone and very grateful for it thank you uh, yeah so uh, I, I I'm glad that 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 idea of hope comes across um, in in my preaching and writing because it, it is something that um, I think might come naturally, but it's also something that I genuinely work at because uh, I I want um, to kind of help convey the hopefulness that the Gospels, um, that, that Scripture, that our experience kind of break into the world because it's so easy to get drawn in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's one of the things that our leaders can do for an organization is be those beacons of hope to allow that to kind of animate the way they move through the organization. Um, you know, one of, um, one of the things that I hope for and um, wh- one of the more fundamental aspects of, uh, of my writing has been around this idea of the moral imagination. I think, uh, you know, when we, when we look through salvation history, the most important thing has been God inviting us to imagine a different way of proceeding. So the enslaved uh, Israelites in Egypt, can you imagine what a land of milk and honey might look like? Fishermen along the shores of Galilee, can you imagine what it might look like to do something different? And one of the great gifts I think we as Catholic healthcare have given and will give in the future is helping people imagine a new way of being. So if we look at um, the religious sisters who helped us imagine addiction in a different way, that that was fundamentally grounded in their vision of the human person. Or when we look at the HIV crisis and the way that Catholic ministries responded differently, or if we look at hospice care and the leader. And so if we look at the major challenges that we are facing, whether it's around behavioral health, if it's around the incarcerated, if it's around the undocumented, if it's around the elderly who are experiencing loneliness, uh, our teenagers who are facing anxiety and depression, Catholic healthcare, these are not technical solutions, are technical problems only. These are imaginative problems. And so Catholic healthcare, and especially our leaders, I think through formation, through the really difficult personal work that comes from uh, engaging with individuals, with organizations and communities, are led to see things in different ways. And that is going to help us create new and creative solutions that other people uh, who might be looking at it from just a technical point of view are never going to find. That's, that's a really great way to wrap up the conversation. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Father Joe, any, any final thoughts from you? Just I an amen to Father Michael. <laughs> your, uh, I think that's a wonderful way to say it. And I would just add, I one of the things I've really experimented with the last couple of years is retreat work with our leaders. And, I mean, you mentioned the women religious, especially with their imagination and um, Catholic imagination. If we can give 
our lay people the same kind of experience to, to activate it. I've just seen really transformational stuff. So I, I love that as a closing. Yes. And typically I would turn to Marianne uh, on a lot of these episodes and give her the final word. I'm not going to do that this time. Um, I think <laughs> m- I think many of us who uh, are familiar with Health Progress know that, that Marianne is going to be retiring. Uh, this episode will be one of the last that she joins me in, in co-hosting. So because both of you have worked with Marianne and, and know her, uh, I just want each of you to just quick reflection on on the, the contributions Marianne has made over the last decade to Catholic healthcare. Well, it is um, it's such a privilege to even be able to reflect on this. And Marianne, I I am so grateful for uh, everything that you have done to to make our mission come across more clearly um, to those of us who work in it and to the outside community. Whenever whenever um, you know, I I get edits from you, or I see the visual display that you've put together, I almost feel guilty because you make us look so much better than we actually are. And it, 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 is, it is such a, um, a gift that you have given to Catholic Healthcare um, to, to help us communicate in more effective ways. And this conversation around Catholic social teaching, it's one thing to know the principles, it's one thing to um, kind of um, be able to um, you know, uh, recite, you know, passages from encyclicals, but the way that you are able to change um, the communication and the revelation of it uh, is just uh, really um, unparalleled. So thank you. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, surely you must realize that I personally handpicked both of you for this podcast <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so that we can say things like this. And I, and I join Michael, um, Marianne, and Brian. Thanks for the opportunity. You know what came to my mind was uh, David Gergen, um, who's been a guest speaker several times, I think, at CHA over the years, served four presidents uh, in their administrations. I think one of the most fair and balanced people. But one, one of the talks he gave, he was talking about a quality of presidents uh, of being curiosity. And, and, and he did such a wonderful job with it. And Miriam, when I was thinking about how would I say thank you to you, I have seen that starting first when I was writing and I think actually, well, no, sometimes unsolicited articles, but your curiosity, or we talk about something, I might be a little on the edge and you were like, yeah, okay, let's try that. And, and then, and secondly, I think since the last two years, I've been on the health progress advisory board. I, um, I see the same thing. You, t- you look around the corner to what's next. So what a privilege and what a way to go out recognized throughout the United States and Canada as editor of the year. I am. I, I don't think there could be anything better. So thank you. You guys are both very generous. Thank you very much. And thank you, Marianne. It's been really uh, an honor and a pleasure to work with you over the last three years that I've been at CH. And I've really, I'm going to miss doing these podcasts because this has been an opportunity to really discuss somewhat complicated issues and hopefully do it in a way that um, is more engaging and, and approachable to our listeners. And I think the other thing I'm going to miss is your editor's note. I really want to just highlight that. If, if you don't read all of Health Progress, be sure to read the editor's note in each issue because I think you just do a marvelous job of, again, bringing in theology and sort of the practical issues of the day in and, and, and a really beautiful manner. So thank you. Congratulations on a, on a wonderful career. And uh, we're not going to let you completely go. I'm sure I'll, I'll be bringing you back at some point and, and have you help with the, the magazine for sure. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Father Joe and Father Michael. Again, we had Father Michael Rozier from St. Louis University and Father Joe Driscoll 
from Redeemer Health, uh, both as our guests to talk about Catholic social teaching. Great conversation. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And this has been another episode of Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association. I'm Brian Reardon and my co-host, Marianne Steiner. Uh, We may not talk to her next time, but again, thank you, Marianne. And until we talk next time, we'll see you.